0: Welcome to How High Can You Jump? My name is Carter May, and I'm a 17-year-old high school junior. Over the past few years, adults have asked me, what do you want to do when you grow up? Pretty straightforward question that should be easy to answer, right? Well, it's not. At least it's not for most high schoolers. As it turns out, I've given it some thought, and I do have an idea of what I want for my future, and ultimately, what I'll do when I grow up. So I'm on a mission to learn more. Join me as I have conversations with people whom I respect and admire I'm inspired by, and I'm genuinely interested in learning more about their professional life story. We'll talk about what they studied in college, the twists and turns of their career path, and what they're doing today. I hope their stories inspire you so you have more confidence in answering the age-old question, what do you want to do when you grow up? Hey listeners, it's Carter. Welcome back to the pod. We're starting season two today, and we have an exciting new interview for you. I feel extremely honored to interview Mindy Goldman. Uh, Mindy is a physician who has worked at UCSF for more than 30 years. Uh, in addition to treating patient, patients, she's also a clinical professor in gynecology, a chair and a board member at multiple startups, and gives back as a volunteer surgeon with faith and practice in Guatemala. So good afternoon, Mindy. So glad to have you today.
1: Thanks so much, Carter. I'm really <laughs> excited to talk to you.
0: There we go. So uh, so I'm I'm aware that you went to college uh, on the East Coast there in Vermont, but let's start kind of from the beginning. So where did you originally grow up?
1: In Portland, Maine.
0: Very, very cool. So how did you, you know, a lot of kids have aspirations when they're younger, want to be a sports player, want to be a doctor, and that was for you. So uh, what what was the deciding factor on why you wanted to be a doctor? Did you have family members that were doctors or give
1: me that? Yeah. Um I actually did not. I'm a first-generation college student. Mm. Um, My uh, dad's family lost uh, all of their money in Mm. the uh, uh, World War II Mm -hmm. and uh, couldn't really afford to send them to college. My mom had gone to uh, junior college for a bit but never Mm -hmm. finished. but they really felt like education was really important and pushed my brother and I to make sure we got a good education. I think what got me interested in medicine was when I was 10 years old, mm-hmm. I had an appendectomy okay. and the surgeon was a friend of the family. And while I was in the hospital, he took me into the operating mm-hmm. room while I was awake and got to showed me around, showed me all the cool things in mm-hmm. the operating room and I remember before going to sleep thinking, wow, if I survive this, I think this is what I want to do. Wow. And then a uh, couple weeks after the surgery, we were up at the lake visiting him and he let me go water skiing on his boat. It was Insane. the first time I had ever water skied. So he was sort of a model role model for me.
0: Yeah.
1: And... Uh, after that, I decided this is the career I want.
0: Super cool. So appendectomy, right? Yep. So what 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 procedure is that? Because so, my listeners might not know. So. Ah,
1: okay. Sorry about that. I'm used to <laughs> it's all talking good. to people in medicine. Oh, who, perfect. Uh, so the appendix uh, is an organ that we have that actually doesn't. Mm-hmm do much. It comes off of your, uh, a part of your large intestine Mm -hmm. and you don't need an appendix, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately, sometimes it can get inflamed or infected. And when it does, uh, it surgically needs to be removed.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. So, uh, I mean, on to college. So what was important to you uh, as you went on to choose a college? Um, And how did you plan your major in classwork to align with your career aspirations? Because I'm aware that you went to University of Vermont.
1: Yes. Um, So I like I think a lot of you looked around at a number of colleges. Mm -hmm. And I think I wanted to go a little bit away from home, but not too far away from home. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at colleges uh, on the East Coast. And I was sort of looking at I wanted to a uh, big university experience. Mm-hmm. And when I went to Burlington, Vermont, I just fell in love with it. Wow. And it's still to this day, I think, one of the most beautiful campuses in the country. And uh, it's a great school. Uh, I ended up having a great education there. Mm-hmm. I think um, even though I knew I wanted medicine, when I was in high school, I got really influenced by one of my teachers who was trying to convince me to uh, go into genetics and Mm. become a genetic counselor. So when I was looking at colleges, I was looking at both schools where I know I could do pre-med, had good science programs, Mm. and also had uh, programs in uh, genetics. And so there were a number of large universities that offered that. Mm -hmm. But uh, Vermont, uh, like I said, fell in love with it, had a great experience and loved my time there.
0: Amazing. So shout out University of Vermont. So there we go. Uh, What did you end up majoring in at University of Vermont for undergraduate?
1: Okay. So I started out in the College of Arts and Sciences Mm. and I was a zoology major, uh, which is very similar to biology, but a little bit more focused on the human body. Mm. And I was excited about medicine, but as I started taking my classes, I really uh, sort of got disillusioned by sort of the pre-med. And, uh, I think, uh, people that are pre-med, there's a little bit of a thought that it can be a bit cutthroat (laughs) and classes had a lot of people. And I felt like my intro classes weren't as personalized as I want and as I wanted. And I ended up transferring into the college of agriculture Mm -hmm. and study biochemistry but at the time i was partway through with my zoology degree so i ended up talking to the university and they let me get a dual degree one from the college of arts and sciences as a zoology major and then uh, a bachelor of science in biochemistry from the college of agriculture
0: wow that's 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 great. I'm glad I'm glad University of Vermont let you do that. Yep. So that's amazing. <laughs> uh so for all my listeners, I mean, who are not planning to uh become doctors later in their future, can you help me understand a little bit, Mindy, about what the path is uh from undergraduate school to med school, then on to your residency later in, in your career?
1: Sure. Um one of the things that I would say before even talking about medical school mm-hmm. is I think if you choose to study sciences, whether it's something like biology, zoology, biochemistry, chemistry, um, public health, there are so many broad careers in medicine. I think people think about, oh, I'm going to become a doctor, Mm -hmm. but there are so many different aspects of medicine you can do nowadays, from working as a nurse, nurse practitioner, physician's assistant, to uh, careers in uh, public health, to researchers, so... Mm -hmm. Um, I think it really gives you a a good basis when you get sort of a broad education within the sciences. Mm -hmm. Um, If you decide to go to medical school, you end up going to college for uh, getting a four-year degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, So either a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Sciences typically. And then medical school is another four years and during medical school, you get exposed to all different areas of medicine, and you typically choose what kind of medicine you want to practice. Mm-hmm. And in order to become a specialist in that field, you have to do a residency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, residencies vary for another three years for certain fields, to some of the surgical fields, mm-hmm. to uh, are longer, and a minimum of four to some six years. Mm-hmm. And then some people choose to sort of super specialize after that mm. and will sometimes do a fellowship. Wow. Which can be another year to two years, uh, sometimes longer. Then so on, then it's on. A yeah. lot. So it's uh, really, um, it was, my training was 12 years after mm. high school. Wow. So it's a lot of years. You Very have to extensive. definitely wow. You have to uh, make sure it's something you want to do because yeah. it is a big uh, both time commitment. And I would say um, I like to think that a lot of people who end up in medicine do it because it's sort of they're calling what they want to do. And it's not just a job. It's really a career for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, just out of curiosity, how many how many hours or how many let's see how many years total do you think you did in college and medical school all combined and the start of your residency?
1: Yeah, so I did, uh, as I said, after graduating high school, four years of college, four years of medical school, four years of residency. Mm -hmm. So 12 years just after graduating from high school to get uh, to the point where I could start my job.
0: Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that commitment and dedication, of course, takes a long time. But what do you think, I mean, you're still able to do activities and stuff like that outside of those, that research at the same time, correct?
1: Yeah, it's, there's parts of that where it certainly can be pretty tough. Mm -hmm. Um, Residency in particular, uh, you're working long hours because you're getting the skill sets that you need Mm -hmm. to practice as the type of physician you're going to be. So I would, I think of those years of training, that's probably the toughest where you don't have as much time to have as much of a social life, yeah. kind of pursue other activities as much as you want, mm-hmm. but certainly during um, other parts of training, like uh, medical school and even residency, I got to, I'm a big skier, got to enjoy doing that yeah. uh, during my free time as mm-hmm. well as lots of other activities. Yeah,
0: that's great. Uh, I mean, tell me a little bit more about those those activities. So like your college experiences, uh, you know, vary with where you go to school and stuff like that. And of course, what you major in in medical school and all that kind of stuff. But what I mean, on top of skiing, what else were you a part of any fraternities? Did you do any intramural sports or anything along those lines or? yeah,
1: I did. Uh, I would say my the big thing I really did was skiing. I actually took ski instructors mm. uh, while I was in college. I have been skiing since I could walk, and one of the things I also loved at Vermont was we didn't have classes on Fridays, so hmm. uh, a bunch of us would all ski together. <laughs> That's great. Um, a lot of my activities were uh, involved in the outdoors, so hiking. I had really close, fr- close group of friends. I wasn't in a sorority, but I had a really tight knit group of friends. That I am still friends to the day, to this day. And we uh, would do a lot of activities together, whether it be hiking, we travel together. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, uh, some of my close friends were from the Midwest and it was too expensive to go home for the holidays. Mm -hmm. And I was driving distance back to Mm -hmm. Maine. So they would come back to Maine and we'd uh, explore. New England mm-hmm. we'd go up to Montreal and Canada wow. um, very fun. so really had a good time too.
0: that's that's amazing so uh, I mean I'm interested in knowing kind of you know you went to undergraduate school and and then on to medical school at University of Vermont but then uh, I think I'm aware that your your residency is here at UCSF correct yes so what was the idea around I mean you're at University of Vermont for so long and then you're like let's just switch over to the Bay Area and then head over to UCSF. Was that, uh, you know, a family change or was that like your own personal growth on why you really wanted to be in San Francisco?
1: Yeah. Well, let me um, explain a little bit how the match works. Yeah. So when you decide on whatever specialty you're going to do, you basically oftentimes will do a what's called a sub-internship at a program to sort of see what a training program would be like. Mm. And then you end up applying around the country, similar to how you're applying to college now. For residency, you end up applying around the country to different residencies and you get invited to interview Mm. and then residency programs rank you. And you rank residency programs, and there's a big match. Wow. And you only get one spot.
0: So it's like a big so dating
1: app. It's a, exactly. <laughs> there it we is go. like a big dating app. <laughs> and um, I was really lucky. UCSF is actually one of the uh, top OBGYN programs in the country. Great. And so um, I came out here and did a rotation and I uh, ended up... Uh, applying, uh, put this as my first choice and was really lucky and matched uh, here at UC.
0: Amazing. What, what parts of this, like this program, as well as like the city of San Francisco, did you, did you really adore about it before coming here?
1: Yeah. So what I really loved about the program was uh, sort of the diversity of the people and diversity of the training. So the population back in Vermont was somewhat uniform And when I was looking towards a training program, I sort of wanted to be exposed to any possibility of a type of career that I may want when I finished. Mm So at UCSF, they have a county hospital, San Mm -hmm. Francisco General, now called the Zuckerberg General Hospital, uh, where you spend a good part of your training. And that exposes you to a lot of people who don't have health insurance, and you get to see problems that are uh, sort of more common in um, some of the uh, poorer populations. Mm -hmm. Um, The university, we are a big referral center for all over California, so you get to see some crazy interesting things (laughs) that you might not see elsewhere. And then you also go out to Kaiser and Sutter and all of the other community hospitals. So you really get exposed to um every possibility of a career that mm-hmm. you might want, as well as it's one of the premier research institutes in the country. So that's why I was so excited to be able to come here. Mm-hmm. In terms of San Francisco, what a great place to be. Amazing. It's an amazing city. city. Culture, uh, the arts, I love the theater, mm-hmm. I love the food. Yeah, And also for someone like me to be able to be able I love the outdoors and to be able to bike in the same weekend that I could drive four hours yeah. to get to the mountains. And go skiing. You can't beat that. <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh
0: my gosh. We love we love San Francisco. <laughs> so uh I mean quick break, let's break it down. So, you know, I had sex ed in fifth grade, um, like every other kid my age. And uh like to my surprise, they uh, they actually didn't teach any of the boys about the girls' parts, and they actually split up the girls and the boys in other classes. And that's a different story for a different time. But, uh, (laughs) like for my, uh, for my listeners and I, can you please define what gynecology and obstetrics is? Sure. I I have a, I even still have a issue pronouncing it. So here we go.
1: No, I think that's a great question. And I actually, when I did my OBGYN rotation, I didn't really understand what it was. Wow. So, um, Obstetrics is uh, essentially caring for pregnant women. Mm. So, everything about uh, having babies. Mm-hmm. Gynecology is women's health care. And when I said I didn't really understand, it was really the gynecology aspect. Like, I thought that was just if women needed to go in and see their doctor in the office, they would see their gynecologist. Mm. But what I didn't realize is OBGYN is actually a surgical field. Wow. So I think in medical school, some people get more attracted to fields that we say are more medically related, like Mm -hmm. pediatrics and primary care. And then some people get more attracted to surgical fields. And OBGYN combines a little bit of both Mm -hmm. because you get to do some... uh, primary care in the office, taking care of women, but you get to operate. So as gynecologists, you do surgeries like um, surgery on the uterus or the ovaries. So uh, there's both the medical and surgical mm-hmm. parts of it, which are really, really intriguing. So that's sort of obstetrics and gynecology. I don't know if that explains it. There we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and then you know, in in preparation for this interview, uh, I read a little bit of a personal story, uh, one that's seems like it influenced you and why you wanted to specialize in this certain sector of of uh, healthcare, um, in you know, treating breast cancer sur- survivors uh, as well as at risk women. So, would you tell us a little bit about that story and that experience and how it kind of shaped the career that you you ended up doing in the future?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to tell you. So I. Um when I started my career, uh, my interest really is around education. Mm-hmm. I love teaching medical students, residents, uh, love giving lectures and learn that about me. I didn't, I didn't know what I would mm-hmm. be good at or what I'd really like. Yeah. And I was probably on target to eventually be our residency director to help supervise our trainees, And then I got really influenced by my best friend getting breast cancer Mm. at a young age. uh, And she died in a year and a half. And I actually went on leave of absence from my job Mm -hmm. to help take care of her at home with her partner and her parents. And she died at home with us. Mm. And uh, while she was going through treatment, a a few things happened. Um, One was, She was a physician and was sort of Western trained like me, Mm. but she started doing a lot of things like acupuncture and Chinese herbs and started finding that it would give her the energy to work out Mm. and help to maintain her sort of positive outlook while going through treatment. Yeah. And at that time we realized a lot of health insurance didn't cover that. Mm. So, While she was sick, her partner and I decided to start a nonprofit that we hoped to do with her. And after she passed, we did in her memory, Mm -hmm. which provided funding to breast cancer survivors to use for complementary care to improve quality of life. Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud of the fact that we kept that going for 20 years up until the pandemic. Very strong. um, And um, gave. significant amounts of money to more than 2,000 women going through treatment. Mm -hmm. And when I came back to work, I decided I wanted to shift my career. I can tell you exactly where I was. And the moment it sort of came to me that you're supposed to shift and do more with cancer survivors. And um, I started talking to our breast care center and said, hey, could I do a clinic there one day a week and learn a little bit about breast cancer care? Mm. Because as an OBGYN, that's not really a part of your training. And at the time, this is in the early 2000s, one of the problems with our cancer center was they were seeing more and more patients, because many people luckily were living with cancer, so they were seeing more and more follow-up patients, but they were having a tough time getting new patients in. And they, all of a sudden I came along saying, Hey, I want to do more. And they ended up negotiating with the OBGYN department and brought me on board to do what was called follow-up care, which was to sort of see healthy breast cancer survivors after they have been doing well for a period of time and just make sure they didn't have recurrence of disease and see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. And what started happening was some of the doctors there would say to me, Hey, this person wants to get pregnant after breast cancer. Is that safe? Or this person's having bleeding on some of their cancer drugs. And what do you think that's from? Or this person's thrown into menopause from chemotherapy. And I start looking up, how do I manage all of that? And go, oh my gosh, there is nothing in the literature. And fast forward over the next 20 years, Mm -hmm. I feel very lucky that I've been able to sort of help develop a field that I think of as bridging breast oncology and gynecology and focusing on specific women's health issues for breast cancer survivors. So I've been able to work with the American College of OBGYN in writing some of their guidelines about how to care for patients. And I've been able to work with the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. And I chair a couple of their panels on menopause and sexual functioning to help provide guidelines nationally for mm-hmm. people doing this kind of work um, uh, so that cancer survivors can have a better quality of life.
0: That's amazing. I mean, after that, that experience, it must have really pushed you into that direction. Uh, so, I mean, after those, you know, 20 or 30 years that you were really pushing for your impact to get there, uh, a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that doctors influence their patients and stuff like that. And an own personal story, my uh my personal family doctor, he actually so he was an early adopter of like all this technology and stuff like that. And uh I mean after also 30 years as a physician, he now works uh as a you know, like this chief medical officer at one of these medical information companies. And um I mean you're also making such a massive impact outside of your uh private practice. Uh you serve as a part-time medical advisor For a few women uh, focused medical startups like Gabby, Avestria and uh, Medora. And you still see patients somehow, um, which I think is amazing. Uh, So run me down a little bit about the role as that advisor or chair member or, you know, whatever the title is for that certain that certain organization.
1: Sure. Uh Sure. So I was your basic academic doc. okay. And uh, like I said, my career has sort of been unique because I am an OBGYN by training, but I shifted and have started focusing more in cancer survivors at UCSF. I run what's called the Gynecology Center for Cancer Survivors and At-Risk Women. Mm. And my first kind of experience at a startup was this company called Medora, Mm. which there were a couple people who... um, we're at Stanford doing what's called the biodesign program, where you get to go to, you have to have a degree in something, you go to Stanford, you get exposed to all the faculty there in trying to develop some sort of product that could potentially parlay into a company. Mm. And somehow these people that were biomedical engineers, they were incredible, <laughs> decided that they wanted to develop a medical device mm. that was a handheld ultrasound device wow. to treat vaginal dryness in mm. cancer survivors. Mm. And if you do a search online, that's a pretty narrow niche. And yeah. at some point my name is gonna come up. Wow! So while they were at Stanford, I was an unofficial advisor for them. They then had success, formed a company. I've been with them ever since. But it was my first experience realizing it's really interesting to bring together smart people from all different fields for a common goal. Mm -hmm. So then over the years, I've had a couple other experiences all kind of related to my expertise in the survivorship space Mm -hmm. um, in some startups. And finally, what happened was... um, I, at UCSF, started getting frustrated that I really want to make a bigger impact. Mm. I can only see about 10 to 15 new patients a week. I'm saying the same things over and over again. Mm. And really complicated visits. And I would love to scale what I do. Yeah. And finally, I had been involved in one menopause company that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. But I had the aha that a telehealth company may be a really perfect way to scale what I'm doing and have a bigger impact in survivorship. And I uh, was approached by the founders of the company I'm at now called Midi Health, Mm. And they said, we think uh, both menopause is an unmet need and survivorship is an unmet need. Mm. And I thought, oh, my gosh, people are finally hearing (laughs) what I've been saying. And so I uh, partially jumped ship from UCSF, I'm still there part-time, um, partly there because I want to help train the next generation and you see, let me start a fellowship, which is a combined breast surgery survivorship fellowship. So I'm, I have my first fellow this year and I'm running that. I see patients there a little bit, but I really jump ship and I'm a full-time employee at Midi Health where I uh, I'm their chief clinical officer and I supervise our care. And hopefully in this next year, I'm going to be launching, helping launch a cancer survivorship platform nationally.
0: That's absolutely amazing. I think the idea on scaling, you know, to the next generation is what we need and what we need in in truthfully, truthfully, a lot of different industries. So I think that's, that's beautiful what you've done. And, you know, uh, in addition to all the great work that you've done, and I mean, MIDI Health, all these different startups, UCSF, You still find time to do volunteer work, which I think is beautiful. And we need more people like you in the world. So tell me a little bit about your, you know, volunteer, being a volunteer surgeon with uh, just in particular faith in uh, faith in practice in Guatemala, which I think you do right once a year.
1: Uh, I have done it for uh, 10 years. Wow. Although I haven't gone back. I need a new team to go back with. (laughs) I haven't gone back since COVID.
0: Yeah. That's on you, viewers. uh, That's
1: (laughs) yes. That's uh, one of the most fulfilling things that I feel Mm -hmm. honored to get to do. To Mm -hmm. to be able to use the skill sets you have to Mm -hmm. give back is such a privilege. Yeah. And I was approached uh, by a nurse that I was taking care of, and we had worked together, Mm -hmm. and she had started going on this medical mission. They have both a medical mission and a surgical mission to Guatemala in 2010, I think she approached me. And they were looking for another gynecologist to go. Wow. And I went for the first time that year. And as I've told many people since once you go once you get hooked. Yeah. And it really brings you back to the basics of why you went into medicine to Mm -hmm. help people. And it's, uh, it's been an incredible experience. Faith and practice is a nonprofit that actually is, I i don't know if it's still true, but they were the second largest provider of healthcare for the country mm. of Guatemala. Mm. And so they are all about helping the poor and they have medical groups that go to remote areas of the country that, and do basic medical care and find people that need surgery. And then those patients, those uh, people are bused into the cities where there's a hospital and surgical groups come down and we, Gosh, operate on about uh, between about five surgeons, about 85 to 100 cases in a week. Wow. So you're just up all day operating and then doing again the next day. But uh, again, one of the most uh, incredibly satisfying uh, things that I've uh, done, I primarily go with faith and practice. I was able to go down with another nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And probably one of the most amazing things when you do work like that is you see people doing nonprofit work with so many different organizations, whether it's building homes or doing community service work, and you just realize the goodness in the world. Yeah. So it's an amazing thing.
0: That's beautiful. So now you've made it to our, what we call our lightning round here on how high, can you jump? It's a, <laughs> a little, so, so five questions of just some fun, fun, easy questions. Uh, <laughs> my mom and I thought this would be a, a pretty funny first kind of silly question. What is your favorite uh, female organ? Ooh. Very fun one for you.
1: Okay. I love the ovary. Um, So the ovaries put out the hormones that make women, women.
0: Yeah, please educate us here because we have no idea.
1: (laughs) So the ovaries put out uh, the hormones that make, like I said, make women, women. Uh, They uh, allow uh, women to uh, reproduce. Hmm. They allow uh, girls to go through puberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, unfortunately, when stop producing hormones, they uh, cause women to go through menopause, which mm-hmm. can cause a whole lot of symptoms, and yeah. which is partially when I'm, Working on or what, which is what I'm doing at the uh, Midi Health. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. basically take care of women in menopause and help them deal with those symptoms. Uh, but the ovaries are uh, just an incredible organ. for beautiful. Doing all of that.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> beautiful. Uh, and, no one's
1: ever asked me that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. First for everything. So, I mean, you're very busy once again. Very, very busy. Uh, with the little free time that you have, what, what do you love to do? you've, you've said skiing, you've said outdoor activities, but I mean, this is more of like kind of a family question, I guess, from this standpoint. So
1: yeah, I I... love to spend time with uh, my family. I Mm. know you're friends with my son (laughs) and we travel a lot. I feel very lucky uh, that we've gotten to travel to some amazing places like Peru and Mm. Africa and get to see other cultures. Uh, I feel lucky to be able to travel and go back and see mm. family back east so traveling is sort of, sort of, certainly a big thing cooking yeah I am um, wow. I think of cooking kind of like I do science mm. but then I think of it there's a big creative part so in science you sort of have to follow steps mm. but the creative part, is you get to go off. Yeah. So like I will follow steps and then I kind of go off in my own way. Yeah. And uh, my kids will say some experiments in my cooking workout and others don't. <laughs> uh, but so that's a big hobby. And then certainly the outdoors, whether it's biking, skiing, tennis, uh, hiking, just love doing sports outdoors. That's amazing. That's
0: beautiful. Uh, and then another kind of curiosity question, uh, you know, you've done gynecology and all this kind of stuff, but was there any time, was there another point in your career where you thought, I wanna try out this medicine, or I wanna go and do, I don't know, orthopedics or something like that. Like, did you ever wanna kind of go and do some other type of medicine or ever have like a a want to do something else?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Certainly in medical school, when you're getting to try different areas of medicine, I was one of these people that I liked everything I did. Mm And so then it was like, what do I, you know, do I do? <laughs> how do I choose? Yeah. And somewhere along the line, I realized I do want uh, a surgical field. Mm. And I think I started thinking about what kind of personality do I have and what would I be good at and what would kind of give me excitement. Yeah. And I think a lot of people that end up in OBGYN choose between OBGYN and emergency medicine. Mm. So we're a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. You know, in obstetrics, if a baby isn't doing well, you need to deliver them quickly. Yeah. In gynecology, there's something called, uh, and it's actually ob GYN. it's called an ectopic pregnancy where there's a pregnancy in the tube, and that is life-threatening, and you have to figure it out and be able to act quickly, Mm. typically surgery. Yeah. And in emergency medicine, you also have to obviously make decisions really quickly. But in Obgyn, you also have the continuity of care. I get to see generations of people in yeah. the office and take care of them. So, I think I was for a while I was touring with ER, but ultimately decided yep, yeah, Obgyn is for me.
0: Not as much of a adrenaline junkie, you know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of crazy there. Uh, and then, um, I mean, when when you were at University of Vermont and maybe also uh, UCSF, uh, was there any certain like research? that you did, uh, within the college, maybe with a professor or something that kind of enlightened you into some new found.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I've done research at various points in my life. I did it in college. I did a college honors Mm -hmm. research project, uh, for the last year and a half of, of, uh, undergrad Uh, at UCSF. I've done research throughout the years, mainly clinical research Mm -hmm. And I love um, sort of academically, I'm Mm -hmm. a academician, I think at heart. Mm -hmm. And I love thinking about where research can take us. Mm -hmm. So what's the next thing that we should be solving to help, whether it's medical discoveries, move the needle along to help people, uh, whether it's survive longer and better, do a better job treating disease. Mm -hmm. So I love kind of thinking about that. What, I found now is I'm convinced that sometimes in big academic centers, you don't, things don't move that quickly mm. and I'm convinced if you could take like the mentality of a startup and combine it with the research kind of brains of academia, you could really move things yeah. on along further and solve things uh, at a much quicker pace.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, so yeah, I mean, finally with my last question, kind of piggybacks off of that. What's What is the most interesting part or, I guess, innovative part of working uh, in startups within the field that you're in, uh, especially in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley? I mean, you have so many opportunities. So, I mean, say something about uh, working, being able to work within these startups and how you're working to grow
1: that. First of all, I'm amazed how much I love it. I had no idea I would. Uh, love it as much as I do. Mm. And at MIDI, we are impacting women nationally. So mm-hmm. we are uh, we started in the Bay Area. We uh, provide telehealth menopause help that is covered by health insurance. So mm-hmm. one of the things that's really important to me is access to care. Okay. So I didn't want to just take care of wealthy women paying out of pocket. So to be able to provide care that is covered by insurance is something that's really important. Mm. We're expanding nationally and having an impact and being able to provide expert care in places where people don't have experts that they can see. So to be at a startup and feel like you are having such an impact on people all over is just an amazing thing. That's amazing.
0: Wow. Okay. well, thank the Lord you passed our lightning round. Amazing. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. So finally, I mean, here on How High Can You Jump? We have this kind of trademark question Uh, for every interviewee. So I mean, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your 17 year old self?
1: Ooh, that's a tough one. It's a toughie. Okay. I think when I was 17 or 18 and going off to college, you're always worried. Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? And I think one thing I realize now is everyone feels the same Mm -hmm. way. Everyone's questioning, are they good enough? Are they smart enough? So have confidence in yourself. Mm -hmm. I think experiment and take chances, like try different interests. If you have this thought, I want to learn about this, do it. You know, there's only so many times in your life where you're not on that kind of work track. And so if you have the opportunity to do something just because it interests you, Go for it.
0: Be curious.
1: Yeah. Be curious. Be experimental. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, be uh, intellectually curious about lots and lots of different things. So experiment. Go for it. Um, try different things. And the other thing is, I think, no, you can do anything. Mm. If you work hard enough, you put your mind to it. I think you can do what you want.
0: There we go. That's amazing advice. Thank you so much. So that's the pod. Uh, Thanks again, Mindy, so much for your time and sharing your experience with me. And again, congratulations on everything you're doing. It's just absolutely incredible.
1: Well, thanks so much for uh, letting me talk to you. I really enjoyed it.
0: There we go. Thank you for joining us today on How High Can You Jump? We hope you enjoyed this insightful conversation as much as we did. If you found value in today's episode, please consider subscribing or leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find our video versions on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Can't wait to see you next time on How High Can You Jump.